I'm just going to move this. Thank you, team. Curtis, it's always a pleasure to have you. It really is. You're such a good... Good. So good. Um, so I just want to invite the Eliason family up for a second, just, uh, just before I share this morning's uh, message. Come on, Peter. This family is so cool. Come on, buddy. You can stand over here. Looking very smart. This, this young man, he is so chipper. Come on up, guys. So, something very exciting is happening in, uh, is it next week? Is it next week? Tuesday you go. Oh, my goodness. So, I, um, we're going to pray for the Eliasson family. And, uh, but before we do that, I believe that, Peter, are you going to... You turn around this way, because that helps. There you go. Are you going to let us know where, what's happening on Tuesday? Yeah. Okay, there you go. Well... Um, we're going to El Salvador. El Salvador? And what is it you're going to do in El Salvador? Daddy's going to help people with teeth. Daddy's going to help people with teeth because your daddy's a dentist, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. And what are you and your brother and mummy doing? Uh, we're walking, I think. That's fair. You're going to do some walking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to share with us? Um, okay, pray for you. Maybe that sounds like good. Should, tell you what, why don't you... I'll, I'll switch that off. Not that. Because the microphone... You can hold it if you'd like. Would you like to hold it while we pray for you? Okay. The microphone's a pretty big deal. <laughs> so, the Elisa's, you've been, you've been at the church now for quite a few years and... Um, Leanne's a doctor, and and uh, and you're going to be doing dentistry, yeah. So uh, we really want to pray for you and uh, and Peter and Eric. They're going to have uh, they're going on Tuesday for a month. So let's just think about that for a second. Three weeks. Oh, I thought it was a month. Okay, well, still three weeks. They're going to need some prayer. And uh, why don't uh, I'm just looking at our grades six to eight, nine-ish group at the back there. Why don't you guys come forward, those of you who want to pray for the Eliasons and anyone else who, uh, who know this wonderful family and these two boys. We're going to pray for you as you go and pray a blessing on them. And, uh, and you'll keep in touch, I know. Lots of pictures and stuff. Okay. All right. Let me get out of the way. Let me pray. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful family. Lord, we're thankful for them and the way that they've become part of the South family. And God, these two incredible young boys, they're such a blessing to us, the whole family unit. And we pray, Lord, as they take this step and, um, and go, they want to serve you, Lord. They want to do some practical good. They want to do some spiritual good on your behalf. And so, Lord, I pray for every practical area that I'm sure is very prevalent in their minds, Lord, as they go. I pray that they would just sense your presence and that, Lord, they would have adventures, but gentle adventures. Um, Lord, we pray that uh, Peter and Eric would, Lord, this would just be such a formative uh, experience for them. And, Lord, we pray, Lord, that they would just have a a huge impact as a family. So bless them, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Fill them with your spirit, your energy. Uh, Go before them, Lord. We pray for safety and protection in every possible way. And we pray your uh, special hand on them now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 
You guys didn't have to say anything at all. That was a good plan. <laughs> oh, thank you, Peter. He was like, yeah, I don't blame you taking it. Let's give him a big round of applause, shall we? Taking a big step. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> it's so cool. Okay, if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's absolutely fine. All the stuff will be uh, appearing on the screen behind me, and I've forgotten my clicker, which is down here somewhere, I hope. There it is. Oh yes, youth, grade 6 to 9s, you can head off. Um, They went out that back door. Okay, keep going, you'll find them, they're just in that hallway. Okay, we're starting a new series called Breathe, and, uh, and we had a bit of a laugh just before the service because John uh, Casoso came up, and he's, you've, you've cracked some ribs, right, John? So uh, I decided to call this series Wheeze instead, because apparently he said he's struggling a little bit. So uh, that, was, that was your joke, John, and, uh, and I just stole it. Um, Luke chapter 10, this, this series Breathe. Today what I'm going to be doing is really explaining what we're going to do over the next three weeks. Um, so I'm really framing it as to why this is an important uh, topic, why it's very pertinent to us, not only as a church, but as a community and culture. Um, but to, just to kind of give you a visualization of what we're going to be talking about, a few uh, months ago, Sarah and I had the opportunity, and I've already shared a couple of stories, Sarah and I had the opportunity to go to Maui to celebrate our 25th anniversary, and it was a wonderful time, and we'd been told that if you go to Maui, then you should really do the road to Hana, and, and so for those of you who've been to Maui, you know that this road, it's an incredibly beautiful, world-famous uh, road adventure, really, where you go down the side of the island, and the scenery is stunning, the, uh, the different places that you go as you go, uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a must-do. The, rea- the, the, the challenge, though, with the road to Hana is that the roads are very, very narrow. Now, being a Brit, I'm, I'm used to very narrow country lanes. Um, it's something that you kind of grow up with, where you're literally going down a lane where it feels like you've just got a, a foot or so on either side, and if you meet somebody, you kind of stare at one another for a bit, and then it's a decision as to which one is going to reverse to get into the smallest of little, like I'm talking this much, you have to wedge your car into the hedge in order to let somebody, and you're pulling your mirror in. It's tight. I can't overemphasize how narrow. And the farmers who are often in Land Rovers, they don't care if they hit something. They've got places to go, so you better watch out. So I was kind of used to the narrow roads. Now, I'm going to say this very respectfully and lovingly and kindly, And I don't want anybody to get upset at me. But I think it's fair to say that the North Americans aren't so used to narrow roads. Is that okay saying that? Because I discovered very quickly that the people who have rented cars in Maui uh, aren't necessarily driving with kind of North Wales country farm roads in mind. It's, it's just not happening. So this is, the, this is one of the, uh, this, is, this is the road to Hana, and this is rare on the road to Hana because there's actually two lanes. How many of you have been on the road to Hana? You know, wow, you guys, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are places on this road where you are very, very close to the edge. If you want, a, <laughs> yes, wow, you're really vocal this morning. 
if you really want a really close adventure on Maui, there's a road that goes over the top of the island that is really, really narrow. And the challenge is, is that there aren't barriers like that. That's a nicely constructed road. There aren't barriers. You, you, it's tight. It's close. You are really, really close to the edge. And it's not enjoyable. doesn't matter how beautiful the view is. If you are inches from the edge of toppling over in your car, if you really want an experience of a narrow road on the edge, is you need to travel from Delhi to the child of mine homes like I did a few years ago. You just have to close your eyes and just be ready. Lord, if I open my eyes and it's you <laughs> standing in front of me, that's what it feels like. It is narrow. And the reality is, is as you're close to the edge, this is not where we're meant to be. There's no margin for error, but you're pushed closer and closer to the edge by cars or other people that might be on the road with you. This is a great picture of our lives. A great picture of our lives. It's a realistic picture of our lives because it doesn't matter what you came through those doors with. It might have been a long time. We get guests every week, people who have not been in church a long time, have had certain experiences in church, have never been to church, have an idea of what church is and don't like it. And, and you know what? You'd be amazed at how many people who come week in, week out to the South as part of the South family who would go, yeah, didn't have a good experience of church, but actually found out that God and Jesus are a lot more than just our experience as a kid when we were at church. However, one thing we do have in common is that we tend to live life on the edge. Our culture is one that says you've got to do more, buy more, be more, go more, experience more, and hopefully you'll take a nice selfie as you go so you can put it on Instagram and make other people feel bad that they're not doing more, being more, buying more, going more, and experiencing more. And we're in this culture of constantly pushing us closer and closer to the edge. We get pushed to the edge when it comes to our schedules. They're crammed full. And they're crammed full of things that we feel like we have to do, but we're pushed closer and closer to the edge. We're pushed closer and closer to the edge when it comes to our finances. When it comes to our emotions, we're at threshold. We're just right at the edge. One more thing. I'm going to, it feels like I'm going to tip over. It feels like I'm going to go over the edge. And some of us have seen people do that. We've seen people get to the place in life where they are so close to the edge, where they are so chaotic, so stressed, so placed, so tight, that there's no margin for error, that you've seen and witnessed them go over the edge. Now, I've never, thankfully, seen a car go over the edge, but I would imagine that is not a fun thing to watch. I bet it's horrifying. I've seen people's lives going over the edge. I've seen people's finances going over the edge. I've seen people's emotions going over the edge. And those of you who know me well, you know that I went over the edge a couple of years ago when I burnt out. It's not fun. It's not fun for your family to watch. It isn't enjoyable. But then also, we tend to go right to the edge when it comes to our morals. How much can I get away with before actually my life turns into a disaster? So our culture presses us. But here's the reality, and here's what we're going to hear over the next three weeks, we're going to hear that we were created to have some breathing space between where life should be lived and where we often find ourselves. There should be some margin, which is this book, this, where there should be some space that we're not designed to live right to the edge. And if we could grab hold of this, whether you believe in Jesus and, or whether you are in a kind of thinking things through and you're not sure what to believe, or if you've been a Christian all your life, 
We need to grab hold of the importance that God designed us, that life is meant to be lived with some breathing space. As some of you know, a few weeks ago I shared that our car is slowly dying. And, uh, and, and like I've broken down twice in the last week. It's fun, and I'm very grateful. It's not fun. I'm very grateful that there are people who are very generous and kind to help you when it happens. And so it happened as I was waiting for Sarah to have an appointment. I was sat in my car, and, uh, and I'm cheap. I've got to admit, this is just a battery problem, this one problem. There's lots of other problems. But I'm determined not to spend on a new battery for a car that I'm only going to have for a couple more weeks. So I was listening to the radio, waiting for Sarah, and then the, you know that sound? Anyway, to cut a long story short, we've been driving different cars. And one of the cars we drove has got this system that you can have on where it senses the edge of the road. How many of you got one of those? You know what I'm talking about. It vibrates, or it goes beep, 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 beep. How many of you have switched it off? Because I'm going to guess if we end up getting that car, click, I'm not having that. Because that's really annoying. But the car has been designed to not drive on the edge. Our life has been designed not to be lived on the edge. You know, we're meant to have some margin. So if you were to get this book, or if you uh, are going to take it because you're new here today, here's one of the quotes from the book. Margin is the space between our load and our limits. It is the amount allowed beyond that which is needed. Think about that. It's the amount allowed beyond that which is needed. It is something held in reserve for contingencies or unanticipated situations. Margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion. The space between breathing freely and suffocating. It's that space in life. We've been designed to have room for margin in our time, in our finances, in our emotions, and in our morals. And that's what we're going to focus on over the next three weeks. We're going to look at how do we create space. What does God say about that when it comes to our time? What does God say about it when it comes to our finances? And it's not just the answer of, hey, give more, just so you know. What does God say about creating space when it comes to our morals and doing what is right? Because one thing I do know one thing I know is there's a better way. There's a better way. And that's what this series is about. What does that better way look like? How do we get away from the edge? Now, there, there will be some of you who are going to go, Glenn, you have got no clue. You work once a week for 35 minutes, 40 minutes if you want to be extra boring. For the rest of it, you've got no clue what my life is like. You don't know what my finances are like. You don't know what my time is like. You don't know what my schedule is like. Frankly, Glenn, I haven't got time to find time to think about getting time and rest in my life. And I'm going to go, exactly, which is why you need to be here every week for the next three weeks. Because that's not the way life is meant to be lived. Because that leads to burnout. It leads to divorce. It leads to, ironically, losing the very kids that you are hoping to keep by spending so much time earning money to give them experiences and things that they don't actually need, and you end up losing them anyway. That's not the way life is meant to be lived. That's not the way it's meant to be. There should be room for margin. We're designed to live differently, and we know it by experience. Even if you're not sure about God, you know it's true by experience. That life is not meant to be lived on the edge. Life is not meant to be lived on teetering on the edge of finances and time and emotions all the time. God tells us, as you read the scriptures, 
God has given us this rhythm in life. He right at the beginning set the example of taking a rest day. And what I love, if you read it, there's actually, and I've said this before, that you, I'm not sure whether he started to work again. He took a day of rest and then the rest of the Bible. So everything he does, he does from a position of rest. That makes sense to me. It's not go, 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 go. It's position of rest. How do we live like that? He understands that our lives and our culture pushes us. Look what he says in Matthew. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Burdened with finances. Burdened emotionally. Burdened with uh, schedules. Burdened with that business. Burdened with the family issues. All, all those things. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke was something that you would use in plowing. And you would yoke up oxen. Where one oxen goes, the other one would go. It's a piece of wood. Again, I've spoken about this before. And, and so Jesus is saying, just attach yourself to me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Do you think our culture could say that? 2019, Kelowna. The yoke is easy and the burden is light. You see, in Luke chapter 10, we see this whole thing about rhythm and, and rest and margin playing out. And you've got two sisters, Mary and Martha. And, and I like these two because what you actually see in reading this, we're going to see it in a second, is that we are one of them. We're either Mary or we're Martha. Now, you could say that across your whole life, that predominantly you're a Mary or you're predominantly you're a Martha. Or you could just dip into one or the other at different times. But in Luke chapter 10, it starts off like this. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. Now, notice I put Dr. Luke. This, this whole book was written by a doctor. His name was Luke. He was a physician. And he goes into great detail. It's a very detailed gospel. He was a follower of Jesus. He also wrote Acts. And he was looking for evidence and he was looking for uh, great detail in his writing. And so I think it's interesting that the doctor in the disciples is the one that points out this situation. Because I think doctors still point out this situation. Now there's something about the South. We seem to attract doctors. We have a lot of doctors in the congregation. I feel very safe all the time. If anything was to happen, if there were a doctor in the house, there'd be a riot. Like when Sarah broke her arm, I had so many doctors. Can we, can, can we see? Show me the x-rays. Let's have a look. Ooh, yes. It's the fun. Love you all. It's brilliant. But the doctors tell us the same thing that Luke did. And so he points this situation out, and it's a beautiful story for Luke. So one of the sisters is Martha. Now look, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Person one, sat at the Lord's feet but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So there you've got the two camps. You've got Mary, you've got Martha. You've got the one who sat at the Lord's feet, and you've got the one who's distracted. That I find interesting. You see, notice that the one sat at the Lord's feet was not distracted. Martha's the one that's distracted. And she's not distracted by bad things. You see, what we have a tendency to do is that we get so focused on good things that we miss out on the very best things. 
we get so focused, so distracted on the good things that God has given us, the good things that life has given us, that we get distracted away from the very, very best things. See, there was nothing that Martha was doing that was bad. She was doing good things. She was running around. She was making preparations. She was doing a great job. I'm sure she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. But she was being distracted from the very best thing that her sister was actually had identified. You see, what we do in our lives is we say we have lots of good things that we say yes to, but we miss the most important things. The most important things. See, the most important things that we're getting distracted by, and we're trying to accomplish all these urgent things, and we, and we miss the best things. So what are the good things in our lives that can quickly create a lack of margin, or a lack of breathing room? Well, I mean, if you just take a moment, pretty easy. And they're all good things, often. You know, it's the kids, it's the jobs, business, the family, it's the interests, the hobbies. Sometimes it's the things that we put in our lives to try and give us margin, actually become all-consuming in and of themselves. So, you know, if we, if we have a hobby or an interest and it becomes all about that, then actually it squeezes other things out. It can often even be ministry. You get so distracted by doing good things for the church that you, you miss out on living out that margin. And, and we allow them to push us to the edge. And, and, and notice what she says. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You can feel the stress in her voice. She's doing good things, but the stress is there. Because the reality is, the less margin you have in your life, stress increases. And I'm not going to go into great detail. We all know that stress is a killer. It's a killer. Um, I'm not sure whether this movie series was popular in, in Canada, but it was very popular in the UK, and it's the Pink Panther series. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say Pink Panther with Peter Sellers? One of my favorite things about Pink Panther and Peter Sellers, and for those of you just looking at me going, I've got no clue what you're talking about. If they're very funny movies, and, and um, he plays this detective, and he's, he's a legend in his own mind, but not in reality. And, and so he gets into all sorts of messes and troubles, and, and it's brilliant. But one of my favorite parts of Peter Sellers and Pink Panther was always when he returned home. Because you remember what happened when he got home? He would open his door and he would enter into his apartment and he was immediately tense and ready because somewhere in his apartment, I remember this movie's from the 50s and 60s and 70s, he had a manservant called Cato. And Cato hid and to jump out on uh, the Pink Panther, uh, Peter Sellers, the actor, to jump out and they would fight. And, and he would go in the apartment because he knew that at some point Cato was going to jump on him and then all sorts of disaster was going to ensue. And it was brilliant. It was great fun. It happened to every movie. And you knew it. You knew it was coming. And he would walk around and sure enough, bam, Cato would come out and they'd start fighting. And, and it was all part of the idea was to keep him on his toes, to keep Peter Sellers on his toes. And, and, uh, but I, I've, you see, the less margin you have in your life, the more Catos you have. You just go, oh, you know, I just feel like I'm on high alert all the time. Something's going to happen. One more bill is going to tip me over the edge. One more situation. Emotionally, I'm already at threshold. I don't know, think I'm going to be able to make it. 
one more, one more situation is going to bring tension into my family and into my, into my marriage and divorce is going to happen. And so you get this tension that you learn to live with. And I know from experience that has effect biologically in your life where it just gets worse and worse and worse until you do physically hit threshold and things really do go bad. But you can hear it in this verse. Tell her to help me. Don't you care? Is the accusation. So rushing from one thing to another, taking your kids to one thing and squeezing time and schedule gets squeezed more and more and more and it feels like Cato. Your finances, one more bill. Emotionally, so you're so highly strung that one thing happens in your family, boom, you blow up. It's Cato. The less margin you have, the more stress you have. There's something else that's interesting about not having margin. You can feel it in this verse. Is you get very selfish. You become very consumed with yourself. You're thinking about your things so much that everything else gets blanked out. So Lord, don't you care? Come and help me. I have this situation. This is all about me right now, Lord. And she's accusing her sister. She's even accusing Jesus, which is, you know, dangerous thing to do. God, after all. But it's consumed because all you're doing is thinking about yourself, trying to keep it together, trying to just keep hold of life. You become self-focused. Me, myself, and mine. Everything terminates on me. How is this going to affect me? How is this going to determine how I'm going to be? It's me. The less margin you have, the more selfish you are. The more less margin you have, the more stress you have. And then finally, the less margin you have, the less intimacy you have. That you're there, but you're not really there. You're attending, but you're not engaging. You're present, but not really. You know, the lights are on, but nobody's home. You know, even in your family and your marriage and your relationships. Because trust me, I've been at the end of so many people's lives as a pastor. It's not about the possessions, and it's not a cliche. It's about family in that moment. I want family. I want relationship. I want intimacy with the ones that I love. And here's what I'm noticing is the less margin we have as a society, the more intimacy, sorry, the less intimacy there is. And so the more divorce there is, the more family breakdowns there are. Because you can't nurture and listen and love and learn and engage when you're so stressed. You're living right on the edge. And, and you might point other people. You might go, well, they're pushing me this way. And we also lose intimacy with God. Satan is smart. Because if he can't make you bad, this isn't my phrase, if he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I mean, the number one reason that, you know, as a pastor, I tend to avoid this question because, you know, I don't want to make people feel bad. But, you know, I haven't seen him in church for a while. Well, it's because I've got busy. I've got busy. There's so much going on. Like, man, on business or family or just so much, so much. Trust me, people don't tend to wander away from God because they've made some calculated, informed research decision that they don't want to go to church anymore or they don't want to spend time with God anymore. It's not some apologetic, well thought through, prayed through, you know what, I don't feel this is for me walking away. It's not that. It's often people drift because they just don't have time to go to church for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. They don't have time to crack open their Bible in the morning and spend time with the Lord 
thinking and praying and journaling and just having that connection. Satan's smart. There's that book, isn't there? Too busy not to pray. I used to do that, Glenn, but I, I got busy. And the result is breakups, breakdowns, broken lives, broken finances, broken emotions, and, think, and broken thinking. All those things are found on life on the edge. Growth, intimacy, freedom, love is found in the margin. In that breathing room, in that breath. I was really convicted about this uh, and, and I, was very, I was starting to ramp up in busyness again because regardless of what you might think, I, I'm not saying this defensively, I say it jokingly because I know you know me, but this, this, there's more to life than this area for me. And it does get busy and I, and I was really convicted and I read this and I wanted to share it with you. And this is, applies to pastors, but I think it applies to everybody. This is from Eugene Peterson, he recently passed away and he spent many, many years in the same uh, place pastoring. He said this, how can I lead people into the quiet place beside the still waters if, I'm, if I am in perpetual motion? How can I persuade a person to live by faith and not by works if I have to juggle my, my schedule constantly to make everything fit into place? We like it when we say, hey Glenn, how you doing? I'm busy. Oh, so busy. Because we somehow celebrate that. If you went, hey, Glenn, how are you doing? I'm great. Not much on, if I'm honest. Really? That doesn't sound right. Because if you're busy, you're important. If you're busy, you matter. That's what our culture says. If you're actually, I'm taking a lot of rest recently. Oh, really? Dear Board of the Elders, Glenn, apparently, blah, blah, blah. It, it feels weird to say it. Try it. Next time somebody says to you, how are you doing? Stop yourself saying I'm busy and make yourself go, actually, yeah, well, I'm doing good. Not much. Yeah, I'm not busy. See their response. It's fun. Next week, Dave McLean is going to be sharing with us specifically about schedules and time. And we were chatting about this. And trust me, you're going to want to hear what he has to say because from experience and also working with uh, executives and, and dads and, and his ministry and his work. He has so much to say in this area. But here's the question. I want to bring this to land. Why don't we do something about it? Why don't we do something about it? She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, if you look at the underlying what's actually going on here is why isn't she sat at the feet and say, well, there's things to do. Yeah, but why, why now? Why do you have to do it? And here's what you'll find, and here's what this book speaks to, and here's what I think from experience we know to be true. Why don't we do something about it? Why don't we stop the extra activity? Why don't we say no to the extra? Why do we have to put our kids into every possible activity? Why don't we remove the temptation? Why don't we downsize our homes, get out of debt so we have some margin financially. Why don't we stop planning on slowing down one day and actually start planning on slowing down today? Why don't we do these things? Why don't we say no to our kids? It's because we think it's necessary. Tell her to help me. Don't you care? I have to do this. I need to do this. It's necessary. Glenn, I have to do this. I have to take my kids there. Why? 
Why don't we do something about our lack of margin? Why is it that we're running around all over the place? Why is it that our emotions are highly strong? Why don't we do something about it? And the number one reason is fear. We're afraid that if we don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way for our kids, we're going to lose them. They're going to look at other parents and think, those parents are better than these parents. Why can't you be more like them? So it's fear. So we're so tightly strung as parents because we're afraid. Why don't we downsize? Well, what will people think? I fear that maybe I'm not going to be who I want to be in my life, and, and, and I'm afraid. I don't know if you know what this stands for. Thank you. Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. FOMO. You see, we think that if we actually slow down, stop, don't take that extra client, don't take on the extra work, maybe we could employ somebody else to come and do some of the work, why don't we do that? It's fear of missing out. Why do we always have to go and be and do and more and more and more? We're fearing missing out. What do I mean by that? Well, maybe we're miss- we fear missing out on what other people seem to have and enjoy. We fear missing out on experiences. We believe the messaging from our culture that everyone else is doing it. Look, Facebook. Yeah, but you know as I do, that's just a load of garbage. Look how happy I am. Yeah, right. Is that cynical? Okay, let me take it back. Look at how happy I am. What, all the time? Maybe that's a little less cynical. See, if we're important, we should be busy. And if you're busy, you're important. If you've got lots of stuff, then you must be successful, just like everyone else. If your kid's in lots of sports and getting great grades, then you're a good parent. If you're getting really great grades at university, you're a good person. You'll have other people looking up to you and you're going to do really well in life. We've drunk the Kool-Aid. And we're fearing missing out that maybe if we get a solid 82%, the world will continue to exist. Maybe. Now some of you younger ones are going, wow, I wish I had you as a dad. So you can ask my kids as to what I think about grades and stuff. And as a teacher as well. Trust me, the world will not end. And in 15 years' time, nobody will really care what university you went to. In fact, they won't even ask you to see your certificates. It's true. You can put them on the wall, but it's true. Wow, he's really cynical. I'm not. I'm being, actually, this is reality. It's not going to miss out. We're not going to miss out. It's like this car pushing us to the edge, and it's exhausting, and it's tiring. So this is what Jesus said. Martha. You can hear it in his voice. Martha, Martha, take a breath, love. He was from Manchester. Take, take a breath. It's going to be all right. You're worried and you're upset about many things. I've been there. I am there. We're all there. Many things. But few things are needed. I can just feel the peace coming reading this verse. I don't need as much as what I think I need in order to have the joy that I was created to have. Indeed, only one. Few things are needed, or indeed only one. You need one thing, Martha. 
Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Wow. I can feel the relief. One thing is needed. So here's, here's, I just want to speak into this really quickly because this is what our culture will say. So please, please listen to this. The answer to living with margin and breath and room is not, I need more time for myself. Because that is the lie that our culture has told us. You need to focus on you. You need to be me focused. I need more space. It's not about that because what Jesus is actually speaking to is where do we find the rest and the peace? We don't find the rest and the peace in us. We find it in him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. In me, you will find rest, he said. So we don't find it in ourselves because this is the reality. If we focus on ourselves for the origin of our rest and peace and margin, then we will let ourselves down. We don't do what we need to do. We can't fulfill ourselves. We need something outside of us. And so, yes, while it's important to take rest for ourselves and enjoy ourselves, absolutely, that should not be the focus of what I'm saying. I hope that makes sense. Because the stress will go up when things don't work out, when health challenges. See, God offers us rest for our souls. So here's the question. Mary has chosen what is better. What have we chosen? What have we chosen for our lives? What do we think is the better thing? And is that better thing pushing us closer to the margin? And we're fearful from taking a step back because of what it might mean. Because ultimately, what we're looking at here is fear versus faith. Because God is big enough and God is powerful enough. And Christians, we need to live with this sense and this enjoyment that He has got it. I've made fun of country music often. And I apologize I've confessed, and I know some of you get very upset, and I've said this before, but Jesus, take the wheel. You've not got the wheel. He's in control. You're barely in the car, possibly not even on the road. It's like he is in control. He has got your life. He has got your kids. He's got your kids' future. He's got your kids' grades, their activities, that maybe maybe they're not going to be the next dreams basketball or volleyball it's important to give them experiences and that's wonderful but we hold them with an open hand saying this is not supreme i'm not going to sacrifice my family on the altar of basketball or soccer or volleyball or dance or whatever it might be because that's teaching our kids to live life at the edge see god has got it what have you chosen one of my favorite scriptures and i'm going to end with this and we're going to go into communion is here I am. This is Jesus speaking. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Here I am. You see, Jesus went to the edge. He went to the edge by what he went through on the cross and what we remember when we have communion. He had the experiences. He not only went to the edge, he died. He, he, he took the fall. He said, so you don't have to. You don't have to live on the edge because he went there. He died. He took that pain. He took that shame. He took all the things that we're trying to fix in ourselves that we think if we can just get more of whatever it is that somehow we'll feel better. No, he says, look, take a step back. Here I am. I'm knocking. Believe in me. I'll come into your life 
and all that happened on the cross will be applied to you. You will find freedom. You'll find joy. Here I am. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. He went to the edge. A few months ago, my friend Phil Cam came and preached, and he was a youth pastor in the church many years ago in Britain. And I remember very vividly sat in his office. And I say office loosely. I'm sorry, Phil, if you hear this. And his office was a mess. I don't know what it is with youth pastors, but it was a mess. And my pastor, Warwick, mum and dad remember very well, came in. He was a lovely, lovely guy. And I remember we sat there, Phil and I. I don't know what we were doing. Just kicking back and enjoying ourselves. And, and uh, knocking the door. Door opens. Warwick comes in. Takes a look around. Phil. Yes. Can you bring the kingdom of God to this mess, please? Closes the door. What's off? Love it. Can you bring the kingdom of God to this mess, please? What have you chosen? Have you chosen to bring the kingdom of God to your mess? Because I, I can't fix it. I can't fix this. But Jesus promised, I will come in and eat. So that's what this series is about. Is finding that room, finding that rest, finding that breath in Jesus. In our money, uh, sorry, in our time next week, in our finances, and in our morals. That's what we're looking at over the next three weeks. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, very practical. First of all, this week, I want you to just to get a few minutes where you switch everything off and you take some breath and you just pray. Maybe it's been a long time. And you remember that scripture, come to me. I stand at the door and knock, this beautiful, gentle Jesus. And you just rest, just breathe, just enjoy him. Enjoy his presence. And maybe that will lead you to taking more than a few minutes and you'll pray and you'll spend time confessing and reading scripture and maybe journaling. I'd also like you to commit to coming the next three weeks. And hear the rest, because if we haven't got time, exactly, all the more reason. We need to be here over the next few weeks and hear what the Lord has to say. So I'm going to, intru- I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to worship together. And as part of our worship, as part of our tradition, as a church, going back right to the New Testament, is, uh, is Jesus set the example, and he said that we're to do something on a regular basis to remember him. We call it communion or Lord's Supper. And it actually just came from Passover, which was a meal together. And he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you, which represents everything that happened on the cross so that we could enter into his rest rather than our own rest. That's how we find it. By The Bible says that all those who believe that he is Lord and confess it with their mouth enter into his rest. And so when we take bread and juice and when we take the bread what we're doing is we're remembering his body broken for us and then he said and you take the wine and he said drink this and remember that my blood was shed for you i took the punishment for you for the sins that you willingly committed he said i i took that i'm paraphrasing now but that's what those two things represent and so as part of our tradition given to us by jesus is that is once a month we come and and we take a piece of bread and we take some juice and we take it back to the our seats and we consider we breathe we rest we think we confess we thank 
and we take the bread in our own time and you can take the juice as part of our worship time together. But here's one thing that is really clear in the scripture. It says that we are not to do this unless we have confessed with our mouths and we do believe that he is Lord. This is not something that is open to you. And yet at the same time it is. Because by believing and by confessing and by asking for forgiveness and maybe just saying, Lord, I need you, then this is yours to take. And so we have that choice. Remember, she has chosen something better. This is what, as Christians, we have chosen. It's a wonderful time to remember that. So here's how we're going to do this. Curtis and the team are going to lead us in a beautiful song. And then at any point in this song, you can come and you can take some bread and some juice. And we've got tables at the back as well. And then your own time, you can go back and you can sit and you can just consider and think and pray. And you can take the bread and the juice. And then we're going to continue to worship. And Curtis will pray for us. And then we can go and breathe away from the margin in our culture. Amen? So let me pray and I'm going to hand over to Curtis.